thank you for joining us on the Therapy Cable podcast. What you're about to listen to are conversations and interviews on some of the most crucial and important topics in the behavioral and mental health space. It is our mission to help remove the stigmas attached to mental health, psychology, and addiction, one recording at a time. also known as Dr. G with Therapy Cable. So one of our viewers was wondering about, uh, you know, the difficulties that families have and wanted us to explain that. How come families have difficulties helping an addicted uh, family member? So this video is about that, difficulties that families are experiencing, why they're experiencing those difficulties. So I was able to really put together a list of 10 reasons and 10 difficulties specifically uh, that families go through uh, that are very significant and, and kind of universal amongst all families, uh, or at least m- m- most families that I have worked with. Um, so the first one that comes to mind is a sense of betrayal. Um, you know, after many times of helping a family member who is struggling with addiction and failing at it, uh, to a point that, uh, as we know, ad- addiction, uh, and by addiction we mean addiction to substances or gambling or sex addiction or any other types of uh, self-destructive type of habits that uh, uh, make the person highly dependent on these activities or processes or substances, um, if both the family member and the addicted person end up in a very particularly damaging relationship to a point where addiction is taking control of the entire relationship and the dependence on addiction becomes so high that the person who is addicted is completely oblivious to um, traditional values that the family has enjoyed in the past, especially values like trust, like um, depending on each other and not Uh, disappointing one another's expectations, you know, to a point that at times an addicted family member may even uh, go to the extent of, you know, uh, perhaps not intentionally, but some, to some extent, willfully even hurting uh, the feelings, emotions, uh, or even physically hurting family members. Um, To give you an example, for instance, people who uh, are addicted to, uh, let's say, drugs, and they have to maintain their drug use, and they run out of resources and finances, and uh, they get to a point where they start lying to family members in order to obtain some resources, some financial help to uh, keep up their their drug use, to, to still buy the substances and drugs on the streets. Uh, and they go to the extent of even depleting, um, you know, family savings, even, you know, taking out money out of 401ks and pensions and uh, saving accounts. And even uh, I know of uh, examples where family members have sold their homes and cars and jewelry and, and other assets, liquidated them in the hopes of thinking that they're helping their 
family member get out of addiction or get out of their problems uh, and yet they were uh, in the end completely disappointed when they found out that all the money has gone to further drug use or uh, other types of addictive behavior. Um, so that uh, injury to the trust that occurs ultimately leads to a sense of betrayal after having been lied to, cheated, um, <clears throat> cheated out of money, and, um, and at times even physically assaulted or hurt by an addicted family member who is um, so eager to satisfy their craving and therefore are willing to uh, cross such boundaries, family boundaries, and, and really do the unthinkable, including um, uh, betraying their family members. That sense of betrayal weighs heavily on the family members and uh, they, they, they just have to live with that sense of betrayal and it is uh, too much at, at a certain level that weight becomes simply unbearable to a point where family members say, uh, you know, I, I've felt betrayed enough to a point where I'm, I'm no longer willing. There's nothing left in me. There's no caring, no empathy, no compassion, no more energy even left uh, or even interest uh, left in me to help the person that has hurt me so much. So that was number one, betrayal. Number two, uh, lack of safety and protection. So as I mentioned, due to all these reasons, over time, uh, family members may feel endangered and uh, in a very unsafe uh, situation where they feel they know they, if they don't protect themselves really against the addiction and by extension against the addict, then uh, they, they are shirking their responsibilities and, and duty for self-preservation and, and self-care and, uh, and really not just themselves but also other family members that are um, involved. You know, that sense of protection and safety can sometimes uh, extend to the safety of the house, of the home, of their assets, that they have to really protect um, themselves as, as well as assets that are uh, at the mercy of the addict and his or her addiction. The third one uh, is depletion of resources. So many times uh, after a few attempts of uh, trying to help a family member and then running out of the resources that people have, especially in this situation, monetary resources, then there are no resources left. So uh, family members may just be at the end of the rope and say, well, there's nothing left anymore for me to help especially if you're talking about material help. But also that can uh, apply to emotional resources and, and, and other types of resources, perhaps may say a number of family members that are willing to help. If a person has gone through uh, more or less damaging multiple relationships uh, and there's no other family member left really or willing, uh, including extended family members that are uh, willing to continue helping the addicted person, then again, those resources have been depleted, so there's nobody left anymore to, uh, in terms of their energy and interest or financial or other means, such as, for instance, providing shelter and food for an addict. If 
uh, an addict has uh, depleted those resources by multiple in multiple relationships, there's no one else left to really help out with the, with shelter and food. So they end up being homeless, and um, there is a there is a finality to resources. It can't go on forever, and that's part of what addicts don't understand. And um, or if they do, if they did understood understand the concept uh, at one point of time, they. Uh, addicted mind, the disorder, diseased uh, part of decision making and reasoning of the mind literally uh, ends up ignoring this concept of limit, uh, limits to uh, resources. Uh, it lives a fantasy life as if, you know, no matter what a person does, there are other resources that are, that are going to be available. And there is a sense of um, I would say uh, obliviousness, oblivion, or uh, futility to the whole process. They may not even care anymore whether or not resources are available. They just uh, continue the destructive path regardless of, uh, of the logical, the rational aspect of uh, reality. And the fourth one, uh, I would call it identity issue with identity. What I mean by that is that the family members, you know, just generally they have this identity for their family. You know, identity can be many times described by, for instance, the names, surnames, last names, the, uh, maybe even some uh, mascots or certain styles or of costumes or uh, you know, habits in terms of the type of food that the person, that the family really enjoys, or type of vacation that they go to, a place that they live, you know, their likes and dislikes, preferences, they form a certain identity for a family that are usually encapsulated within a greater identity, such as, as I mentioned, a, for instance, a, a name for the family, almost like a dynasty, if you will. Uh, people are proud of their identities. They're proud of the values that they um, harbor and cherish and share with one another. So once a family member goes outside of these uh, perimeters and basically acts in a way that is contrary to those values and identity, um, ultimately the other family members may really question the, uh, really the belongingness of this addicted family member to, the sense, to their own sense of identity, who they are. And as a result, and this is more subconscious, I would say, rather than conscious, but still can surface to the level of consciousness that a few members in the family m may just kind of decide, you know, this is not who we are. And if we continue to associate with this person who chooses to be this way, or even doesn't choose, but is um, really uh, entangled in this dilemma and this storm and is taking us down with him or with her, then uh, that's not us. That's not who we are anymore. So it's that very much existential sense of, uh, of uh, wanting to preserve that self-identity uh, that may uh, create some resistance to helping the family member because there is, a there is an existential line that is being crossed and people may just feel at a loss of who they are. And, and, and how they identify themselves and whom they are associated with. And very much subconsciously start um, 
defying and uh, and and um, uh, almost rebelling against wanting to help a family member who is addicted. And it's very much a self-preservation uh, type of a need that exists. Um, the fifth reason I would call or categorize under shame, uh, shame, the feelings of being embarrassed and shameful and ashamed of uh, a disorder, a, a problem that is highly um, stereotyping and stigmatizing um, is so overwhelming that at times people really are completely overwhelmed by their sense of uh, embarrassment and shame that uh, their family member is struggling with such a problem and therefore it's a debilitating sense of emotion and when the person feels the disabled, debilitated at that level where they're even just paralyzed, even grasping the reality that's, that they're associated with someone who is uh, struggling with addiction, that, that sense of shame is so overwhelming and so paralyzing that um, really leads to this um, uh, different type of an experience where a person may um, not even have the ability or the willingness and completely be devoid of any notion of um, of, of uh, uh, connectedness to their family member. So, they, 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 and again, it's that's why I use the word disability and uh, you know debilitation because it's beyond a certain person's uh, self-control. When shame takes over, we are literally paralyzed, and there is no action that can be taken. So a person who, a family member who feels ashamed about their, their uh, you know, uh, let's say siblings or, or children or parents' behaviors, they uh, completely really dissociate from that other person. Uh, because again, it goes back to self-preservation. Shame is so debilitating that we cannot function and we have to get out of it. So part of us rescues us from that uh, par paralysis that is brought on by shame by uh, disconnecting ourselves from the family member who is addicted. We don't even want to think about it. We don't want to even be associated with it. Uh, and then that brings me actually to a very similar emotion, number six, is guilt. Uh, same thing with guilt in terms of at times family members may feel guilty for either having caused the problem, having been a contributor to the problem, or having been even associated in the past with the problem, having been um, uh, connected with it, having maybe even enabled the person in their addiction. There's lots of different aspects that can lead to a sense of guilt, especially the most prominent one, I would say, exists for parents, because parents have a general, natural, innate sense of responsibility and uh, caretaking for their children. So uh, even if they do their best, and despite all their best effort, uh, let's say, regardless of what they have done, the child goes and becomes addicted, they still feel a sense of guilt that they could have or should have or uh, must have uh, done something uh, either wrong or they didn't do something right and ultimately 
they have been part of the formula, part of the contribution, part of the history. And that guilt, too, is very debilitating to a point where it eats away at a person to an extent that they may feel like at times they sh should give up their connection with this addicted family member because they don't want to exacerbate the situation. Or they may feel that because they have been a cause or a contributor to the problem, they feel so guilty about it that they disconnect in order to uh, just kind of you know, live and brood with their own guilt and rather than again cause more problem. At times, again, if they feel too much responsibility for not having done the right things, but again, afraid of doing more uh, destructive things at this in their mind, they may then again disconnect from the family member and say, you know, this is too much, maybe I'm better off and the family member is better off if we don't uh, even connect with one another, if we are not in their lives, if they're not in our lives. Now, it's not always how guilt uh, manifests itself. A lot of times that can certainly be the opposite in terms of it leads to the opposite uh, uh, desire and uh, drive in a family member to be actually overly Im involved and participatory and even to an ex extent too controlling or even suffocating and wanting to take charge of the entire treatment process or recovery of an addicted family member. But in this case, I'm focusing on the side that guilt may actually become an impediment to connection with family members and helping a, a addicted family member. Number seven is what I would say a rivalry, but more um, accurately, uh, I would call it balance of responsibility. So on the one hand, what I mean by rivalry is, you know, uh, there are multiple members in a family. So if a person, one person is addicted and a lot of resources and attention go, or, go toward this one person, the other family members may feel neglected, you know, uh, not appreciated, left out, abandoned, and uh, that sense uh, will come across in one way or another, whether it's verbal, nonverbal, uh, you know, in, within intense emotional experiences, uh, even to the extent of maybe blowout or major disagreements uh, and or very peaceful conversations about the sense of this uh, lack of a balance or injustice, if you will, that is being uh, presented through uh, the, the imbalance in the attention and caregiving and resources that are being distributed amongst family members. So, and in fact, that can even uh, happen between spouses. For instance, let's say if one parent is more involved in the uh, either the maintenance of the addiction or in the recovery uh, against uh, you know the, the factors of addiction, and uh, the other parent is not as involved, and then there is almost a schism or gap between the spouses that can occur. And again, that can uh, seemingly uh, appear as rivalry that again the attention of one person is being divided unequally between the other two family members but uh, uh, and that's why I gravitate toward the more appropriate term which would be um, less about competition and more about balancing resources and again in this case it's more uh, for instance you know that a, 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 a couple may have had life savings and one parent may feel 
that uh, it's okay to send that to spend that life savings on the recovery of the addicted child and the other parent may feel that no you know that's their life savings and they need that for old age and for retirement and they shouldn't be just throwing it away because of the bad choices of uh, that have occurred in the past so and again how do you balance that between the spouses and that can lead to that uh, type of imbalance of resources and uh, and also uh, uh, to perhaps major discord between the family members um, and as a result then that can lead to again another uh, need for disconnection from the addicted family member um, because again if the spouses are feeling that you know uh, our relationship is important too to the extent of saving it rather than allowing the discord leading to some kind of uh, permanent um, uh, disconnection and like divorce or separation or even worse uh, then uh, for the sake of saving this relationship it may be better to preserve the relationship the main relationship but uh, ultimately disconnect from the problem if you will as well as the person who is in the throes of the problem now all these i know that people hearing all th these concepts that i'm going through certainly have their own judgments everybody has their own reactions and feelings and all those are valid there's no question about that every person reacts to these types of issues and concepts differently we have different values and value systems and uh, uh, we can go through that at a later time in different videos or different discussions, but right now I just want to go through general categories that uh, uh, can help understand why families may be struggling with actually being able to or willing, being able or willing to help a family member with addiction. Uh, the eighth reason is uh, what I call sanity and self-care as well as, again, self-preservation. This has been a kind of a common theme amongst the other categories, but I think it deserves its own category to a point where if everything else has been done and the person really is completely depleted by having gone through all these emotions and feelings and experiences and to a point where they feel uh, they could lose their own uh, sense of sanity, you know, if they don't stop helping. Uh, that's that level of self-preservation that they can arrive at, at any, through any of these experiences that we mentioned earlier. But uh, that's why I think it deserves its own category because it deserves some explanation that self-care certainly is the core principle that helps a person even survive in this world. Every human being really has uh, exists as, as one unit. We have our own both physiological as well as psychological uh, skin, if you will, you know, uh, boundaries around us. And we are literally just responsible, unitary for our one own self rather than multiple people. We are one individual, one entity, one human being. So that by itself, both physiologically and psychologically, puts a burden and responsibility and pressure on us for self-preservation. We owe that duty to our own self. Uh, that's just a very one of the core, uh, most uh, uh, prominent and profound rights, as well as uh, phenomena uh, that uh, that we 
uh, we own as human beings. So we have a right to it as well as a duty to it. So at times, um, you know, having cared for others, regardless of the relationship, uh, to, ex to the extent that we are shirking that responsibility, we are giving up um, on, on our own existence, it can be uh, quite contradictory and counterproductive uh, for, and for sure counterintuitive. And there is a level that a person will get to, to a point where their own reality testing and sanity may be tested and the, to the point that they may question life. They may, and that's, and again, that existential point of um, journey where they may even question the purposefulness or meaningfulness uh, uh, and of their own life or, or life in general. And that's a very dangerous level to get to, but a person can easily get to this level if they haven't stopped any of these other types of depleting uh, factors and uh, forces in, the, in that m more or less is caused by addiction, I would say. And it's not only caused by addiction, there are lots of family dynamics intrapsychic, interpersonal, psychological factors go on, but uh, ultimately, I believe that uh, is a danger that the person that people need to be aware of. And a lot of times, family members automatically, unintentionally, subconsciously get there to a point where they uh, there's a limit. They notice that limit, and that they are just losing themselves. That they are, have done too much to a point where they have completely ignored themselves and now they're completely dysfunctional or they're the verge of being becoming dysfunctional almost like a nervous breakdown if you will and when a person notices that they may shift gears and completely backpedal into more of a self-preservation and just kind of abandon or you know wash their hands off of the addicted family member and at times it's that that's the reason why they may stop helping uh, in order to preserve themselves. Number nine, I call it philosophical and beliefs uh, differences. Um, I've had family members where, you know, no matter how many times they have discussed these issues of addiction, drug use, or uh, sex addiction, or gambling, or whatever other kinds of addictions uh, are, are out there, but um, and they have tried to help, they have tried to come to a common uh, sense with one another. They have actually made some progress, but then they have come to a point where they have noticed that their, um, I'm sorry, they're um, philosophically just different from one another. You know, kind of principally, they are uh, at a crossroad where they literally choose to really separate their own ways. Uh, give, to give an example, you know, uh, despite everything that uh, one family went through when they were coming to uh, work with me uh, after a few years of working through addiction and actually reducing the damage and, and getting to some kind of normalcy, the person who was highly addicted to all kinds of substances and so forth, so they continued um, uh, actually in a very manageable way uh, because of their belief system that using marijuana uh, uh, medicinally was uh, beneficial to them and there was a actual good physiological reason for it um, they, uh, they the, the addicted person just decided that this is the lifestyle they needed to have 
both medicinally as well as again philosophically they didn't see any problem with using marijuana especially now that it is legal uh, and uh, and they, without falling back into the throes of hardcore addiction and hardcore use of drugs etc uh, under supervision and uh, medical supervision they continued and they have to my knowledge to, even today they're continuing for years using marijuana and not really becoming um, dysfunctional due to other drug use but then the family members decided that again uh, philosophically principally they could not agree with this decision uh, because of everything they have been going through and the whole ordeal of addiction and recovery coming out of that they they decided that they, they're uh, philosophically completely on two different uh, frequencies and really decided to just cut, cut connections with one another. Um, almost on good terms, uh, not with animosity, but actually kind of respecting one another's um, wish for future lifestyles and, uh, and, and it has worked so far actually for them. Um, so at times you see that, that people family members and an addicted family member, they literally come to a point where their belief system completely diverges and they, uh, they are no longer in each other's lives. Uh, lastly, number 10 is fear of enabling. And that somehow is also related to earlier what I mentioned with guilt and uh, shame and uh, um, uh, uh, yeah, so those two categories. but. So basically, at times, after having helped uh, many, many times uh, a family member who has thrown everything they've got at the addicted person, but then throughout the years they have also been educated and they have been informed about the possibility that all their help or some of their help may have actually um, enabled the addict in their um, dependence and in their maintenance of their abuse or uh, addictive style, then uh, the family member who is now much more aware and informed about this possibility of having enabled the family member, um, then they may come to a point where because of this awareness they notice that, you know what, maybe I'm better off not helping because in the past my help has actually le led to uh, a lot more um, dependence, a lot more damage, and some, uh, you know, kind of unwanted and unintended uh, negative consequences. So perhaps it's much better that I step back and kind of more or less disconnect or distance at least myself from the addicted family member and let them figure it out by themselves or be more uh, self-sufficient and self-reliant and independent or more interdependent rather than so completely codependent on one another. So that's some of the times the reason the fear of even further enabling the addicted family member that keeps a person from wanting to help or being able to help. And at times, uh, and I'm kind of accidentally put that at the, as the last reason, but it's a good segue to the concept of codependency and enabling. And there's very much very uh, well-recognized and, uh, you know, real concept that does exist 
uh, we know it is part of the problem and the solution and that's why also family members are a lot of times encouraged to attend Al-Anon meetings uh, or Nar-Anon or whatever other type of anonymous uh, codependency education groups for family members that so that they can they can inform themselves about uh, the the depth of some of these behaviors that they're engaged in to be able to differentiate what kind of help is constructive and what kind of help is actually destructive to a point that enables the addict to further maintain their addiction. Thank you for joining us on another episode of the Therapy Cable Podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe and leave us a review on your favorite podcast provider. To view the entire videos of these episodes, visit us online at therapycable.com and send us an email about your thoughts and topic suggestions. <laughs>